Blog Talk Radio. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Guys, a real guys talk real sports. We are back and in full effect with the RS podcast in the house. I got my man D Wheels on the line. We are back. The real sports guys kind of took a little hiatus, but now we're back. We're in business. And we're ready to rock it. So, uh, without further ado, let me get into the proceedings this evening. Again, you listen to the real sports guys. I'm your host, Marcus Game Changer. I got my man D Wheels on the line. Steve Wills, how you doing, man? Holler at the people. Man, I feel fresh and clean. It's, it's good to be back. It's been a rough uh, few months, but, uh, you know, when I knew I was going to be on the show tonight, it just made my day. So I feel like, you know, I, I need the people maybe more than the people need me. So I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> I feel you, man. I feel you. It's been a minute. We need this therapy. You know, this is therapeutic for us. This podcast gets us through many a hard times allows us to connect with each other, but also allows us to get our thoughts out there into the world. So we appreciate that. Again, as we always say, you could have been anywhere in the world this evening, but you're here with us, and we appreciate your patronage. Um, with no further ado, we will break down tonight's uh, shenanigans, exploits, and other activities uh, on this podcast. Uh, with the intro to let them know, this is where we give you a quick rundown of all the things we have in store for you this evening. First off, we're going to lead off the show with our top three. Again, we're going to share three things, chop it up around these three things that just have caught our attention, caught our eye since the last time we were with you all. From there, we're going to get into some NFL talk. Uh, to quote Nasir Jones, it's halftime. Right. Being half point of the season, we're going to get into a couple of things, give out some half-point half grades, revisit predictions that we made at the beginning of the season, and adjust those predictions as necessary. Uh, from there, we're going to talk NBA talk. We haven't had a chance to check in with you. The NBA season is underway. Um, there have been some interesting developments at the start of this season. You know the real sports guys is the place to be for your NBA sports talk, so we're going to get, hit you off with some of that tonight. Uh, we got a lot in store. You know, we're going to give you a classic renegade podcast right now. Um so let's just jump into it. We're talking about our top three. D. Wills, you can lead us off. What's your top three? What are the three things since the last time we got on air that have just been impactful to you? Stories, um, happenings in the world. We can go outside of sports. We can stay in sports. We can go any any. You can go anywhere on the board with this. Well, um, th- there are three things. I mean, I think the number one thing, uh, and given the context of our Show so any of the listeners who have probably followed us from the beginning, 
know that this issue, you know, um, we spend a lot of time talking about um, intersections of larger society issues in sports. And, you know, um, we have really been um, on top of this issue around the role of kind of student-athlete development and engagement, you know, being true student-athletes and what does that mean. <clears throat> and I think, um, you know, members of the Missouri football team and the role they played in really bringing attention to some important issue on their campus um, is really going to be seen as what I think is a seminal moment in that I, I would say that kind of started with what we saw the Clippers do, um, that kind of fed into this along with some other things that kind of chipped away the Northwestern players. Uh, but this was probably the most significant display of, you know, really what we hope undergraduates learn and do in their experience and to have a football team, you know, along with a whole bunch of other uh, students. You know, at Game Changer, you, you are – probably one of the most dynamic student leaders I've ever been around. And I think people don't understand how hard it is to be an undergraduate and knowing that your future's alive, but to really push against injustice. Um, I think people think this is easy. They think it's young, easy for young folks to do it, but particularly very difficult for athletes to be in this space. So that's one I hope we hit. Um, the other one um, that is tied to that that kind of shook me was hearing um, uh, Dr. Harry Edwards speaking on um, Rosillo's show today in Canal, and just it reminds me of how dynamic he is. Um, and I don't think we understand just the impact he's had on sports and really around this issue of race, but also the work that he did with the 49ers. But just the way he answered this real kind of important question, I think when I've heard people in the airways talk about um, – what it means that white privilege and why these issues matter. And, and, and just he answered the question in, in I think, in, in very just emphatic ways doing a personal experience that, that was powerful for me. And then I think on another note around sports uh, that was has just been uh, amazing is, you know, beyond some of the, I think, with these real tough issues that I think we tackle. But on the sports side, it's just the buzz around this kind of college um, – football tournament thing and the first poll coming out last week and then the kind of criticism Alabama got turned on Interpol and then watched what they just dismantled LSU and um, the role in terms of Henry becoming this dynamic running back, but just the, the buzz around what's changed around college football with this, this kind of four team kind of tournament has been amazing to kind of watch this energy come back and the kind of chatter has happened. It's just been, um, it's more like four is perfect. Like just don't go beyond it because it creates enough drama for the kind of discussion that's incredible, but still allows for those other ball games to be important. So those are three. I have many more I could do, but I'll stick to three. Okay. That's a good three to get us started. So let's kind of, uh, let's kind of lock in on the college football angle um, that you laid out for us. Um, in particular, talking about the Missouri football team. Um, there's been some a series of racially um, inflammatory uh, events that have taken place on the campus. Um, several student groups have spoken out um, and tried to advocate and organize to uh, address some of these issues that are existing on the Missouri 
University campus um, and progress, sufficient progress wasn't being made um, as far as institutional changes towards addressing or institutional measures towards addressing these issues. And what that ultimately led to was the football team uh, threatening to not play in a football game unless the president of the university resigned from his position. Now, this is an unprecedented action, collective action, by a group of football players. Um, at least, and I, I don't want to speak out of ignorance, in my recollection, in my knowledge, there may have been some incidents of this in the past that just haven't been as well documented as this one or as fresh in our minds as this one. But this one here is a big deal. Um Tell me a little bit about your reflections as you saw this particular situation unfold kind of right before us. Well, you know, um, and it's funny because I've been traveling, doing a lot of personal stuff, and having kind of, and this thing has kind of jumped on me. Um, And, you know, you know my personal journey as well as anyone. I mean, you and I have a shared journey. And this, on a small scale, you know, you were a student athlete who was this kind of student who pushed into these areas, even though, you know, um, you knew, you, 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 you might not saw, saw the same risk, but it just remind me of how difficult it is to be on the ground around these issues. And obviously, you know, my, my other hat, I work in on a large campus like this. And so, um, and know how difficult it is for the lock to, to be unlocked for athletes like this. Like, it it is in their best interest personally not to do this, but to then you know jump out and do something was just amazing to me. And the, you know when you have the narrative, you know it's funny of how when you have something like this happen, um, people try to then you know um, erode the act. And so you hear people in the airway saying or or stuff coming out of locker rooms like we're nine oh would they be doing this? Um, really pushing back on this value system, not knowing whether you one in twelve or whatever. When you are a student athlete and you don't, you have a non-renewable scholarship, and not knowing if your coach is on your side, this is huge. But it speaks to a larger culture that we've allowed to kind of fester on these college campuses, and saying, "Well, people will just be people." You know, in this case, you got people riding around on Confederate flags. You got swastikas and um, feces. I mean, you just got blatant acts, and you have leadership who are not who are not reacting to what is called should be safe space, and to have these athletes who, by all their conditions, have probably the best resources you could have on the campus, food and everything else, to know that this is an injustice was just powerful, man, and. Um, and what I'm hoping is that people don't try to downgrade the act. And you see some of that erosion and some of that. But the, the undercurrent of what it means to be safe in the environment and have an ability to learn and be part of it, um, you know, there's a movement here happening. It's been bubbling up with, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and a whole bunch of things around it. But this 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 activist spirit for student-athletes, you can feel it unfolding. And this is kind of one of those seminal kind of moments 
that we can reflect on. You know, when you have a, you know how difficult it is, you know, you've been around, how difficult it is to have a president step down and understand yeah. the power of money. You know, like this tells you the power of sports and that money that have all we've all been talking about. That when you mess with the money, you know, they they had a consciousness. They understood that. They understood the dollars connected to this. And it's difficult because of the stubbornness of a lot of leaders like this. Unless it's egregious, you know, you know, these are most most presidents all presidents come through faculty team, they used to have a tenure in security. Right? So they have a behavior, so to have that happen, this is a big deal. I think people understand how difficult that is. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's a very difficult space to be in because everything around you says focus on your job. And this is beyond. This is outside of your role, right? Being an athlete is all about roles and playing your role, being a part of your team. The thing that, the the one piece of this that I think, I, I haven't heard anybody connect this dot yet. This is the same Missouri football program that Michael Sam came out to and nobody said anything. Yes, nobody right. went to so there's a sense of, there's a special sense of connection and brotherhood in this program. Right? Yes. Where you have guys willing to step outside of their own personal self interest as a whole, as a collective, as a as a critical mass. Right? Not ten yes. guys in the locker room, not a group of five guys, not the linebacker core, not the DBs and the linebackers, but a critical mass of guys who together feel a sense of connectedness that transcends race, sexuality, in in a way that I don't think we give young people and athletes the credit for. Um, So that's that's something that's very unique that's at play. And whatever they're doing at Missouri to foster a sense of community, it's working, at least amongst that football team. It's working. And that university needs to take a lesson from that football team and how it handles difference, diversity, all of those buzzwords that are somewhat generic now because they've been used, but they have a, a framework of helping people understand, coalesce, and come together around issues that in gen pop society cause division. Yes. And that's a fascinating thing to me, and no one has broken it down I haven't heard anyone from the inside kind of really look at it from that angle. Like, this is that same program. And a lot of these guys are the same kids, are the same young men, because Sam graduated, what, two years ago? Yeah. You know what I mean? So a lot of these guys were around during that time. And they kept their mouth shut. They allowed that man the space to be himself and to address the public and, you know, unveil who he truly felt he was on his own terms. And mm-hmm. the fact that they're willing to stand out and stand up against these things and demand action is commendable. But, again, I think on a greater level as a coach, the coach in me wants to know what kind of team building they're doing because they have to be doing an amazing job because they're getting kids to come together around issues that people with greater intelligence, greater maturity – have very difficulty common ground on. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And you hit something. And I, I think another piece that's missing this is, you know, being a, a large campus like this, that in addition to that, whatever they're doing, there's a bridge built enough that 
dudes in the jam pop knew enough to come to the Africans. Now you've been mm-hmm. on college campus where they would have that would have been the last thing they would thought about to go to the Africans. Right. Right. But they knew enough that they could actually do it and something possibly would happen. Says so that there's there been some integration. There's been something happened there in how the the friendship groups and the community is constructed for that bridge to be built strong enough for that part to develop and, and go, right? You can't do that on a lot of these campuses. They have these athletes so insulated that those yes. relationships, you know, don't really, you know, exist, right, to the, that, to the degree that you can have that many players, which is, you know, on a player of a team of about 100, you know, almost a quarter or more of your players all in. Right, and it's not just you know you had the young man at uh, Virginia, but he was a walk on. Like you got starters, you got you know what I'm saying. You got people, yeah, who yeah, could be getting drafted. You know what I'm saying. You got people who got you know realistically got money on the line, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, it, it, but that to have that bridge built is interesting because that's usually a contentious space. But right, you know, and, that, and that integration, that. as you said, that level of integration where the athletes yeah. felt this mattered to them. You know, yeah. athletes get so insulated that the things that regular students go through, oftentimes the things that athletes don't even, you know, athletes already have a certain level of I'm different. Yeah. Um, like I don't, I don't deal with regular people stuff. Yeah. Um, and there are different layers of that and different intensities of it, different doses of it that all athletes have. Um, which is which, especially athletes that are successful. Obviously, yes. most of these guys are. They're at a you know SEC university on scholarship, and to break that down and have these guys feel a part enough of the campus that they felt this issue or these issues were relevant enough to them and their experience says a lot. It says a lot about, like you said, how integrated in a part of the actual campus community they are, which, again, is phenomenal given everything else that we know about how college athletes, in particular big-time college athletes, power conference college athletes are coddled, um, isolated to a certain level from the regular students and the regular student experience that a university has to offer. So, you know, just as this comes out as a critique of different elements of the student experience at Missouri, it highlights some very interesting and powerful student elements, uh, elements of the student experience that exist on this campus as well. It's 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 a really interesting and and uh, kind of a, a juxtaposition of what a college experience can be. You know, we talk about. Yeah. You know, and, and you you've spoken highly of the the things I've done in college, and I appreciate it. Um, you know, but in doing that, and in doing those things, I and reflecting on those experiences, I always felt like I wouldn't have changed none of the stuff we had to deal with. I yeah. wouldn't have adjusted any of it because I felt like it made me a better person, and there was yeah. a space for me to address it. Right, there was a space yeah. where I had a voice. I had an opportunity to address it. I had an opportunity to combat it head on. And 
that's what you ask for as a young adult in those situations. And, again, for a university to provide that space for its athletes, a power conference university to provide that space for its athletes, to an extent it's commendable, even though it's in response to um, un- uh, some, some pretty unsavory things, right? Yeah. So there's that, there's that weird juxtaposition where you can almost praise the university for creating this environment um, mm-hmm. and the football team and the football coach, but then they've also created this other environment that – you need this environment to respond to. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the double-edged sword of, of what's going on. And so it's just very, it's just very interesting, man, and I, I think it's a phenomenon. Now, the thing I want to ask you is, and, you know, this is a devil's advocate kind of a question, um, yeah. did they ask for enough? Did they underestimate you know, their power? Yeah, I, I think when you when you when you get in this space, you know, when he probably said what he said, they're like, he said that? You know, and you don't realize that you could have gone for more. But I, I think what it does do is put on notice any new leadership, you know, their role um, in what they need to do, right? And so I think part of um, – you know, not, you know, they got faculty involved. You know, I think there's there's more you could ask for, but I think, you know, really pushing for the fact that we need a search style leadership in this time that's important. It has to be responsive. Is 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 you know, is a start. Um, uh, I think the one issue that you have with this that a lot of institutions wait on is that people graduate, <laughs> right? And so one of the strategies for a lot of institutions is Folks graduate. The one the one thing you do know and you hope is that students turn over, right? And right. I think that's one of the challenges when you have protests like this that go. But I think what what makes this athletic piece consistent, and this is the other side of the coin for a, a guy like Pickle. I don't want to make sure his name right. Um, is that this thing I've always told coaches, and it's hard for them to get to understand when you build this kind of culture and you, you're about capacity building like this, and you can potentially win and coach, it helps you with recruiting. It helps you with grandma in the living room that this is about sports, but this is about life. This is one example in which you, kind of, you, you, you do this. And so he's also creating a space that's going to be interesting where he's recruiting folks into a situation where leadership and capacity building is part of your experience as a student-athlete which could be the sustainability model, the more student-athletes become engaged in these kinds of things. Um, so that, that's the one challenge with this. Um, but the, 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 the challenge to the money really makes this a different game. You know, when you are challenging Saturday, you know, that's economic impact for uh, mom-and-pop stores. That's a whole bunch of things. So, you know, I think that, you know, when you're young and trying to do it, you know, you just, I mean, part of what they were dealing with was, you know, they focused on who they thought was the barrier to progress, and it was the president. And usually that's what students do, and they put their energy there, boom. But unless they have good advisors or good support systems around, you know, when we think about some of the things that, you know, y'all did as students, you know, when you were trying to negotiate more difficult plans, you know, which – you know, I think your background as a student athlete helped you do. You know, that took some 
work with advisors and other people to kind of come up with a more sophisticated strategy, right, versus, versus, you know, I don't know how much they have. And usually in these large institutional environments, the role of advisors a lot of times is uh, not as strong. And, and that's where I think you get uh, a much more systematic maybe plan and development. Uh, but these students, I thought, did a really good job. I mean, you know, given everything they had, the immediate need is we need to we need to get a change in leadership because we need to get somebody who can set the tone, which is I think a great starting place. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the one thing I was going to ask you: this is interesting things. <laughs> one of the things the points was brought up, but about the coach is that he really had no choice. <laughs> you know, knowing that the sustainability of this program. You know, looking at you know the, the you know the role of black players in the success of this program, he had no choice. And do you see that? Because I still think there's a lot of coaches out there who still might not have been like he is. You know what I'm saying? They would have responded. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't. I, I, what do you? What do you? What's your response when you start hearing people? I heard people saying on the air, and I was just like, Nah, this cat's been pretty consistent. Like, because I think the counter to that is what he did in the previous stuff. So, which, he, he, that yeah, was my thought. Yeah, my thought in general around the coach, the coach and his role in this is that his leadership council or whoever on his team was not operating in a vacuum of okay, is my coach going to support me here? Yeah. Um, they they knew they knew they had his support, um, whether it was overt and explicit or they knew that this was something that he would ride with them on, especially if you're going to again threaten to not play. Um, he had a choice. He had some leverage in the situation. He is the coach. Um, whether it was elevating second team guys who were thirsty and hungry. He could, if he wanted to, he could have drove a wedge through this. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe in that that whole. What was I supposed to? What was he supposed to do? If he wanted to have drove a wedge through it, he could have drove a wedge through it. He's a, he's as him and his coaching staff are as much integral a part of that community that we talked about prior as the players. And if they would have decided, oh, you're not going to play well. So and so's got your spot. If they created that kind of a culture, they could have easily drove a wedge through this, through this act, through this, through this, uh, through this movement by these players. They could have through, drove a wedge through. They, for whatever reason, they chose not to. Um, so I think that's a cop out to say that he had no choice. I think that's excusing. That's an excuse by less enlightened people who yep. could, can't fathom that the coach would support this. Um, on just the general principle that it's wrong, you know what I mean, that the actions yeah. that were going on at the university were wrong and that something needed to be done, you know, they can't fathom that a coach would, would support something like this. Um, and so they're saying, well, he had no choice. No, nah, he had a choice. And he had he had tools at his disposal to uh, pull this thing apart. And he made a conscious choice not to. And again, his leadership council, his captains, whatever they, whatever leadership framework they had in place, guaranteed got his blessing and told him, 
We'll carry this water. This is our thing. We just want to make sure you're either aware of what we're going to do and you're okay with what we're going to do. And, you know, whether, you know, he he, he definitely had his chance to air his grievances with with his players and voice his opinion. And, again, ultimately, if he wanted to dismantle, he had the tools to dismantle. He chose not to. Because he felt and I think the way, this was an appropriate action, and this is what right. the student athlete experience is about. Yeah, and I think his his work with uh, when Sam was there just continues. I think that tells you that this is part of his DNA, and it's, it's so. I, I think it's interesting that that part of it is is um, an interesting part of uh, the the role he played, and he didn't play a role in saying. He wasn't pushing firing. He was pushing support of his players being um, very active in addressing this, which he positioned it well, and I think that's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, I think think, think he handled it the right way. Young folks. Shout out to the young folks. (laughs) Yeah. So keeping it in college football – Let's talk about this uh these playoff rankings and the playoff framework. You talked about the uh the four, the four team playoff as an ideal system because of the drama it creates. I've heard yeah. quite a few people on airwaves and blogs talking about they need to expand it to eight. Um and that, that should happen in the next three or four years. What are your thoughts on the structure and format, the four man versus a larger amount of participants. Um, what are your thoughts on that? From a drama standpoint, I, I think I was probably in that camp around the eight, but I just love the drama of the four. Uh, it, 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 um, I just love the drama of the four. And I like the fact that the drama of the four doesn't take away from some of the value of the other aspects of the bowl season. Um because I still watch those other games. But I love the drama of the four because people just get so crazy about this stuff. Um, so from that, it's good for television. If you <laughs> if you want to build drama in the tournament process, I would say you move to the eight. You at least guarantee, you know, more, more representation from the power conferences, and so you'll make commissioners and everybody else happy. But I don't know if it'll have the same drama as this four does. And this four is like, that's the gold ticket. And you drop in and out, and it's just driving people crazy. So, you know, um, you know, have like Ohio State come from the teams last year and they end up in the four, you know, there's a possibility. And have them run the table. Uh, I thought that was great. And I think you got possibly like that, you know, uh, this year. So, I think when I first looked at it, I thought eight was on. But the more I look at this, the more I watch the react, the public reaction to what's going on, the more I like the four. I mm-hmm. like to see people scream. <laughs> Man, I mean Alabama. The best thing about season. college football is this regular season matters, and I think yeah. anything that makes the regular season matter more, I'm I'm all for. And additionally, anything that makes who you play matter more, I'm all for. Um, 
I, I like I mean, the four being format myself. Think about this. Who's happier than Nebraska? Right? right. Like, like they were they were losing games by – they could have a great record, and they lost all these close games. But to beat Michigan State, not just to beat them, but knock them out in a detention in a four, like, that make your season. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't you think – like, they're turning Nebraska's season on round, right? I mean, nothing better than that. Uh, it was just in, incredible. And so, you know – that that alone tells you how powerful that four is. So here's the thing that I think becomes the death of it, right? Here's the thing that I pushes that I think pushes the four. I think the four is perfect. I think it's the perfect number because it does create this dilemma, right? You got five yeah. quote unquote power conferences, but only four spots. I like the exclusivity mm-hmm. of it. I like the fact that. Just because you're in a power conference doesn't mean you automatically get a shot. I like that. That's something that I think brings value to it. It means your conference has to be strong. There are other things outside of just I'm. we're in a power five conference, so if we win our conference, we're going to make it. I don't like that kind of insurance and guarantee. Mm-hmm. I like I like the uncertainty of it. I like the kind of uh, the wild card kind of, Gambling, gambling type of mentality it creates. The thing that will be the death of it is Notre Dame, because <laughs> Notre Dame doesn't have a conference, right? <laughs> Notre Dame doesn't have a conference. So right now, if the if the whole shindig kicked off today, Notre Dame's not in it. I mean, the Pac-12 is not in it. The uh, yeah, the Pac-12 or whatever, Pac-16, whatever it is, is not in it. Uh, the Big 12 isn't in it. You got two of the Power Five conferences not in it. You only have three represented because of good old Notre Dame, right? That is going to drive people bonkers. That's going to drive people nuts. And right after Notre Dame, you have another Big Ten team in Iowa in, in the number five spot. So this whole setup, and obviously the Big 12 has to sort itself out, Um Oklahoma State getting a victory over TCU was huge. Um, But then they still have to have a game against Baylor. Baylor still has to play Oklahoma. Um, So this thing is going to kind of work its way out in that particular situation. But ultimately, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be real interesting. I think part of – so the loss – Part of the Big 12's problem is, and it's just, you got to stop playing 707 football, put everybody on skates. The last, when's the last time I saw somebody in Big 12 make a tackle? <laughs> and so, so part of the struggle they got is they got, they got an image problem that these other conferences don't have. And, um, and it just feels like they they like well you know it's like they feel like a whole bunch of Loyola Marymount football teams. You know they're good, but they can't win the championship. <laughs> and I think that image around there throws them off. And so it's like it takes a team like a Oklahoma or uh, Texas, who usually when they're good, they're also great defensively, right? Um, they can still score, but they, they seem like when they present themselves as national powers, 
they're usually balanced like a lot of these other conferences. The Notre Dame thing is interesting because they have the ability to manufacture strength of schedule. You know, see, so now you look at the teams that play. Mm-hmm. They're going to play Stanford. Now they got this kind of quasi, what, ACC thing. So they have the ability to play, you know, the Clemsons and others of the world, kind of have some of that stuff, but then they get to add in their own mix. So they got USC in there, Stanford, start to build some of these other teams in. So, but, you know, Notre Dame is only relevant because they finally got talent that reflects that. You know, they're starting to perform at that level. Um, so, yeah, they are a wild card. I mean, BYU could be a wild card because I think there's another independent that over time could present itself, not in this season, but, you know, as this thing progresses, those are always going to, they might be, those might always be two schools that cause problems in this process. So, yeah, I think the Big 12's problem when the committee looks at it is they don't see balance, right? So these teams like Clemson, all these teams are balanced. And so the point you bring up about Notre Dame and the BYUs of the world, that to me is the thing that breaks this thing up. Um, That's the thing, that's the next shakeup. A couple years ago, we had the conference realignment, and that was the new kind of seismic shifting of the tectonic plates of the college football landscape. The next shift happens when Memphis decides, you know what, let's just be independent. Everybody keeps knocking our strength of schedule because we have to play these teams in our conference. Why don't we become independent? That's right. And why don't we just play who we want to play and give ourselves a shot? Now, I don't know the the monetary because we know the bus is green and it runs on dollar bills, right? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I don't know what the monetary ramifications would be of leaving a conference. Obviously, for Notre Dame, it doesn't matter. They have their own TV station. But yeah. for some of these mid-major schools that really don't get a ton of airtime to begin with, Oh, man. You know, or a school like Texas becoming an independent. You know, a name brand school becoming an independent and crafting their own schedule and just rolling with that, right? Now, strength of schedule, I can control fully. Like, I don't have to play Iowa State. I don't have to play Kansas, you know, a down Kansas State program. I can I can program my schedule however I want it in any year to play whoever I want, and my strength of schedule is truly an indication of who I am and what my program is about rather than having that be used as a knock against some of these mid-major programs. If I'm a mid-major, I really got to look at what are the benefits of being in a conference for me because I don't get access Right now, I don't have any access to the to the major uh, to the to the major playoff because I'm in this weak conference. And so, what if I left the conference, became an independent, and created my own schedule every year, and was able to cater my schedule to my desire to get into the, the playoff? It's an interesting thought. I don't know if any school out there has the the uh, the intestinal fortitude. To pull it off, but I think that's the uh, that's the cheat code to the game. Now, again, we know that the bus is green 
and it runs on dollar bills. So mm-hmm. we got to figure out how big that bus is, and if the bus can get bigger if you go this way, or does the bus get smaller? Because nobody wants the bus to get any little. Yeah. So just the thought I had when I was looking at this and thinking about this is that why don't more teams become independent? Why don't more teams take that control over? Why don't more institutions take over that? And to me, that's the next earth-shattering kind of trend that could really, especially amongst the mid-majors, like Boise State. Like, you got some brand recognition. Before your brand recognition completely dries up and, you know, you're back to traditional mid-major, go independent. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Rebuild it. Go independent and see if you can't bust into this system with an undefeated season. You Mm -hmm. know? Just a thought. Just a thought. Am I crazy? Is that is that too way off? What do you think? Well, I mean, it goes back with, to the business model. And so, is, is Memphis leaving? Can they get the money on the table they're leaving? Because all these conferences have deals. Some, you know, obviously the big ones are bigger deals. But are they? You know, Notre Dame has the ability to create their a conference like deal. You know, Penn State wasn't independent. You know, under this model, they probably could have that kind of deal. Um, the Boise State, you know, you know, I, I mean, these ADs got to run. But my money. question is, do they even have to have a deal, right? The computer should just look at your strength of schedule, and that's it. Like, why do you need to be in a conference at this point, especially because if you're in a mid-major that's actually a knock on you? Because these conference, these conference uh, network deals are like open cash door. And, I mean, and that's the, the and that's the network, FTC network. Yeah. Those deals, like, like the money you get out of that is so good that that overrides you leaving to try to get into the, the four. You know what I'm saying? And so, okay. you know, so – you know, and and so even some of these smaller deals might be good. Like you know, uh, Memphis um, is um, what, what conference are they? They're in the they're American in, Athletic Conference, something like yeah, that. Yeah, we have with Temple. So you got yeah. Temple, you know, Connecticut, Cincinnati, all in that that conference. With it, so you know if they got a TV deal with that conference, uh, is can if you Memphis or one of these, can you get that money? Because that money comes in no matter if you in the four, mm-hmm. or <laughs> right? You know, and and the way these deals work, even in a, a conference like this, it's it they they are a lot of these teams are in markets where college football is the main entertainment. You know, um, along with maybe basketball, so they're still a dominant force in those markets, and they can probably guys. You know, they're not getting no SEC or or uh, Pac-12 or you know Big Ten Network type deal, but they might have a nice little deal with ESPN and other stuff. That that money coming in is good, whether you get into the four or not. Mm-hmm. That's how people make those decisions. I'm not sure of that, but I know that's part of it. It's on the AD. Right. You know. Um, right. But places like Penn State, who have been independents, who could probably carry a brand, or a Florida State, 
got tired or, you know, you know, you never know because you could get a deal. A Texas, you know, I could see them because they could carry their own network because they got reach. The eyeballs on that. Right. The reason why Notre Dame can do it because the eyeballs they put on it. Because Memphis put the eyeballs on the to get the money that they wouldn't get if they weren't part of some kind of conference deal. Right. But from a competitive standpoint, you're right. The problem is these ADs make the money stand. They make money decisions. Mm-hmm. I dig yeah. it. I dig it. You're running a corporation. You're running yeah. a corporation that, that sells college athletics. <laughs> That's right. And so, you know, from a competitive standpoint, your strategy is right on. They, they could really raise their brand. But yeah. they 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 they, they got to make sure they got a financial model that will replace that money they lose from not being in a conference. Yeah. 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 It's, so. it's it's an interesting it's an interesting proposition that yeah. if somebody figures out how to make it work monetarily could be, dare I say, a game changer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, a place like Texas is bright, right? Because they already had contention around how that whole deal went down because they want their own network. You, you, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, unless they go to something like the SEC or, if, you know, if it were the Big Ten, or, you know, I don't know if they do Pac-12, but but Texas could carry their own brand. They got a lot of money. Mm-hmm. A lot of they, they cash plus. And they could carry their own network. I mean, ESPN, if somebody would give them probably a bigger deal than uh, – than Notre Dame has. Yeah. Yeah. And then they yeah, it's an interesting thought, that. man. It's an <laughs> yeah. interesting thought. But this, this, is, this is the kind of thinking that yeah. this 14 playoff kind of gets you starting to think about, like, okay, if you're one of these outside schools, how can you break into this? You know, so yeah. it's all interesting. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSU Renegade Radio, finishing up. D. Will's top three of the last couple of weeks since we've been on air. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. Back to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. It's your host, Marcus the Game Changer, on with the other one-third of the illustrious three-man booth, uh, D. Wills. What's cracking? <laughs> Man, this has been a great, great – what I needed, we we really we, – we catching our stride. You know, it's, it's almost like, you know, that friend you ain't seen in a long time is just like riding a bike. You just jump right into it. Yeah. I know, man. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. The Kardashians have had multiple lip surgery since the last time we had talked. <laughs> yeah, Lamar, Lamarda, Lamarda, I'm back in the show. He done, he done got back into the picture. 
You know, we find right. out more about, you know, what's going on between Chloe and, and my man Harden with the beard, you know. It, so, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, game is changing. Yeah. It, the, man, the, game the Kardashians, changing. man, they, they ain't nothing but trouble, man. You bet. Ain't uh, no cat messing with the Kardashian and been the same afterwards. James Harden can't shoot straight no more. Uh, <laughs> Lamar Odom wasn't right. You know what I'm saying? Chris Humphreys, he was Chris Humphreys to begin with. So, I mean, that just wasn't going to end well. Reggie Bush ain't been the same since. I mean, dude is – I mean, he got he got hurt sliding on concrete a couple weeks ago. That was crazy. You know, it's just like the, you, once you mess with the Kardashian, you're cursed, man. It's something about them, man. It's not it's not a good look. You got to stay away, about, you know. I'm worried about just, my boy Yay, you know. I'm, I'm worried about him. I'm just hoping it all comes down the right way. The one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about, because I know we're going to transition, is I don't know if you had a chance to hear um, Harry Edwards speak. Uh, but I you did. did get a chance I to did. Hear him. Huh? You did? I didn't get a chance to hear him. Give me uh, give me so a quick he, give me a quick uh, give me the give me quick, the footnote. So, so, so Rosillo, uh, you know, asked him. You know, the way he framed it was, you know, as a middle aged, you know, white male trying to understand these issues. You know, take us into understanding what that experience is like. And he starts out by saying, you know, imagine from New York City to L.A., you can't get a cab. There's a possibility you're not going to be in a cab. He said, imagine you could be driving your new Cadillac and be stopped, and somebody asks you where you got this from after you just bought, you know, it with your bonus check from the 49ers championship. That's what he decided to spit it on. Imagine when you are cutting grass in front of your house, someone stopping and asking uh, how much they paid you to do the lawn when you lived there for 27, 47 years with your wife. You know, he the way he broke it down and only he could break it down in a personal way, describe what it means to to be privileged, right? And I said it just reminded me of the force he's always been in terms of helping us unpack these issues in ways and, and talking about, you know, how, you know, for many white folks, this is just not an experience that's on your clock. And so there's a lot of white folks who just don't wake up every day thinking about these issues. And then when these things hit the front page, they're like, it's hard for them to even fathom it because they're not, that's not what they think about every day. There's a whole bunch of people in that space. And so just listening to him break this down, man, and thinking about the work that he he's even done beyond this, what he, you know, what he was doing with the 49ers when he was consulting around kind of development of players and families and stuff like that. It was just powerful to have an icon like that be in that space. And, and appreciated that, you know, particularly on that platform, they, he was somebody accent, you know, was able to give him space to talk about it. You know, I'd love to have him on our show at some point. Um, he's an icon. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'd love to hear that conversation. Yeah, I missed that one. I missed that one. Yeah. But, yeah, Harry, yeah, he keeps it real. He keeps it real. He keeps it real. And, you know, that, that that's, I think, you know, and, and you know, I'm not a, I'm not necessarily a major fan of Rosillo and Canell yeah. and what they're doing oh. now. And, you know, I listen, though. I listen just to kind of get a read on kind of the, the tenor of conversations, how people are talking about certain things that are going on in the sports world. So those are one of the, they are one of the shows that I go to to kind of get some perspective, yeah. to kind of get that yeah. well-rounded uh, yeah. 
view and opinion on what's going on out there. Because um, we don't and, hate Because we, we, we underground. You know, we create right. stuff. It's, it's, sometimes I hear our stuff on other people's shows. I'm thinking, is somebody listening in? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, okay. You know, y'all like Michael Jackson going to the streets and learning how to moonwalk, and now you put it on the on the album. Right. You know? Right. You, now you, you know, make like, it fashionable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I dig that. I dig that. So I do kind of sometimes see that. You know, you never know, you know. Maybe it's a young producer who scanned through the iTunes, caught on to us, and found something. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like somebody's right. watching me. All right. Uh, you hit him with that rock. Well, I always feel like somebody's watching me. <laughs> I dig it for sure, bro. I dig it for sure. As we start, as we transition, yeah, as we transition right here, we got the uh, NFL. We're halfway at the halfway point. Um, a couple undefeateds left. You know, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on the first half of the season. Who is making your dean's list, whether it be coach, player, team, organization, Who's making your dean's list as having some great grades this first semester of the season? Wow. Well, obviously, uh, Carolina. Um, you know, um, I mean, Rivera was almost out the door. but um, Riverboat Ron. The, 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 what I love about that story is what I see failing in the NFL every day. Um, understanding who your talent is, having a developmental approach to growing them, and um, having some patience, and you know, so you know, I love the you know the breakdown of Cam Newton, you know, because he don't, you know he's got he's got injuries, he doesn't have to kind of all the stuff around, but the things they do to put him in a position to be successful, and the ways they've allowed him to grow as a quarterback offensively. Um, and what they're doing has been very impressive. And so, you know, Carolina is um, doing uh, doing their thing. Another team, and I think, you know, we're, we're going to hit on that, that is probably on my list that's just been um, interesting um, on the Dean's list is um, you think about the Jets. Think about how their season started in turmoil. The, co- the, co- the quarterback is knocked down the locker room. They got to kick the backup linebacker off, you know. But you know they're still in the hunt with a new head coach and um, backup quarterbacks and kind of still competing. Um, and I, the part of me having people on the dean's list, you know, they're you know they've they've improved and developed a standard of how they're approaching it that I think is a sustainable model given where they started. Um, is amazing. And obviously, you know, I think the returning Super Bowl champions, you know, the Patriots, given all the stuff they went through last year, they on a mission. Like, Brady is putting up video game numbers, and it's almost like we're not even talking about it. It's like we just accept that given all the scrutiny we have against them, <laughs> they are just like, okay, we – you thought that you thought that was messed up. Okay, we're gonna prove you wrong. And they sitting here just smashing people. Um so there's a there's a number of teams. 
Um, Cincinnati, I, I would put them on my defense, but I, you know it's hard. I can't trust them because they're. It ain't about mid. This like this is not about how you did on your midterms for them. You know, you and I work in higher education for Cincy. It's about which is about after the finals. <laughs> you know, did, did you maintain that success after your finals? That's what they are because they they've always been three eight students through the midterm. They've always had great midterms, and then only to fail their final exam. And so I can't put them on there. Mm. Well, individuals I got on my on my dean's list for the first semester, not necessarily individual players, but individual units. Yeah. Denver defense. Oh, the Broncos definitely. defense is definitely on my dean's list. They're kind of carrying that squad right now. Um, and it's interesting that a Peyton Manning team is getting carried by its defense. Um, that's not something that we've really uh, – we've really seen before, but uh, definitely, definitely um, the Denver defense, DeMarcus Ware, uh, Vaughn Miller, the pass rush is excellent. The coverage is great with Aqib Talib back there. The defense is just is taking care of business. Um, Talib, he can't be poking people in the eye. What's that? Talib, he can't be poking people in the eye. It is what it is, man. All's fair. It's football. <laughs> you can play with one eye. <laughs> In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> so, you know, even with one eye, you can be king somewhere. You feel me? So, hey, uh, the other, my someone else who's on my dean's list. Uh, it's and with Carolina, man. You know, I wanted them wanted to put them on my things list, but I I feel like, and I, I appreciate what you said about their patience with Ron Rivera. I do agree that is sorely lacking in the NFL, in particular with coaches and just not letting guys go through the ups and downs as your roster evolves and changes. Um. And this other team that's on my Dean's list, and I'm putting them there. You didn't have them there, but I'm putting them there, is the Cincinnati Bengals. And, again, for drowning out the noise, being undefeated, having a coach, keeping a coach, um, that to me is is major. Uh, Letting Marvin Lewis kind of work it out, right? Guy hasn't won a playoff game. That's enough right there, given how long he's been there. I mean, we got guys getting fired in the middle of the season in, like, year three. You know, Tennessee got rid of Wisenhunt. Miami get, gets rid of Philbin. Uh, uh, you know, we got we got teams kind of hitting the panic button extra hard, extra fast. And I, I, I got to give props to franchises that are staying the course and trusting – that they have made good choices and are letting those good choices prove themselves to be such. Um, and there's something to be said for that. Um, so hats off to them. Um, another guy on my dean's list, Todd Gurley, just killing it, just cold killing it. I mean, destroying the league as a rookie coming off an ACL. Yeah. You know, just, just killing it. So 
who are some teams that you thought would be better than they performed this year, right? Like, there's some teams where you kind of look at them like, what's wrong? I, I, and, I, and I'll start. You know, for me, the Philadelphia Eagles, I picked them <laughs> to go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> but I told you, I said this is going to be the year of what about him? You know, Man. He, he he was, he you know, he had a lot of criticism coming out the gate. Yeah, he did. Man, I mean, I don't know if it's Bradford or it just – Something ain't clicking. You know what I mean? Like you're pressing the button, but you're not getting anything to pop up. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't understand. So Philly is definitely, definitely on my list of teams where I don't quite understand uh, why they're not good. Um, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't get with that. Who else is – who did you think was going to be good, but it's just not? I I, um, I have New Orleans on that. And part of it is their defense is horrible. They're 31st in total defense, 30th in, in rushing um, defense, um, uh, I think mean, a passing defense, uh, 25th in the run. I mean, Rob Bryant's got to cut off his hair because something's got to change. Like, something's got to change. He just got to cut his hair off, but something's got to change. Like, I'm off the Rob Ryan train. All that being over-exaggerated, emotional, this is just a terrible defense. And then they got an office that's actually producing. And so New Orleans just disappoints me because I expected them to do more in that space, um, in that time there. And I thought that their offense would return, but their defense would be the difference, at least middle road to top, you know, you know, probably in that 11 to 15 group. But that would be enough with this. But they're not even, you know, they're not, they like an um, – they like a, a, a uh, they like a, a Big Twelve or whatever you call them uh, defense on skates. So very <laughs> to me uh, watching that performance all together. Um, the other thing is just the Lions. <laughs> I was in Michigan. You know, wow, wow. They five. Is Jim Caldwell next? Is he the next one to go? Our Beloit native man. I hate to see it happen. But, but you know, they, I don't know what's happening, but I'll tell you what, uh, Ford came out there like Gangster Granny, and she laid it down. She was just, <laughs> they relieved of their duties. They brought her out the bullpen. She's like, I'm taking over. Yeah, buddy. Like, enough is enough. <laughs> She's like, enough is enough. But they just got, I don't understand them. And Stafford, Stafford is Cutler without the angst, so he gets away with stuff because he's uh, he's not, you know, he doesn't he, he doesn't have those blank stares and whatever. So he get, doesn't get the Cutler criticism, but he's basically doing Cutler type performances when he should be better. And Cutler's actually performing. See, 
I think we need to reevaluate some of these quarterbacks who are supposed to be. I mean, Colin Kaepernick is coming off the bench. RG3 is coming off the bench. Andrew Luck is leading the league in turnovers. Um, I know. We, some of these guys we've been sold on as the dudes aren't the dudes. And maybe it's just the natural up and ups and downs of growth that you have to go through as a young quarterback. But the league is winning right now against these guys. I mean, Russell Wilson yes. ain't popping like he was last year. I mean, none of these guys are necessarily getting it done in the way that we expected them to get it done in the past. Um, Stafford, you know what I mean? Uh, just a lot of these young guys are not putting in the work that we expected them to be putting in at this particular point. So RG3 is an afterthought. Kaepernick's on the bench. Bradford, Sam Bradford's struggling. You know what I mean? Matt Ryan, is he's, he's up and down. So it's, it's just real interesting um, where these guys are, you know, and where the trajectory is and where the conversation is. Is Andrew Luck a good quarterback? Yes. Is Matt Stafford got tools? Yes. But he ain't producing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Does Kyle Kaepernick have a great arm and some great legs? Yeah. But he ain't producing. And so that's the conversation that at some point we got to start having about these quarterbacks. And what what role does management play in creating these situations, right? Like, again, going back to the Ron Rivera situation, there is something to continuity, especially yeah. for the development of quarterbacks. And it's something that goes very under – it's something that's very underrated and does not get the credit that it needs um, when it comes to helping these young guys develop. Um, you know, I want you to name me a guy who has had multiple coordinators who right now is killing it. It, 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 there, I mean, it, there isn't that. I mean, I think one of the things that you said, I mean, I remember when Cordell Stewart came through and he had like four or five coordinators. And one of the things I said is that that stunts his growth because he doesn't have a chance to make the adjustments and evolve in the way that quarterbacks have to evolve. And, you know, San Francisco shot itself in the foot because of how they separated from hardball. And and at a certain point, you know, I'm you know, we gotta talk about the role of like the general managers and these player personnel people in this stuff. Like at the end of the day, you gotta have people in the field who can move the product. And they are time and time again uh winning these power battles. Except for in, in Philadelphia. Right? And so it, it's it's um, you know, we all know that continuity is important. We all know that development is important. The teams that you watch do it well on a consistent basis win, and yet people don't do it. And Kaepernick, there's no secret to that. You know, part of it is knowing what he's doing and putting him in position to do it. You know, I said it from the beginning, people like Kaepernick and RG3 – Go back and look at Joe Gibbs' offense he had with Theismann, and there's your formula. And the interesting thing about it is 
you know, if you look at Denver's offense, that's what they've been, you know, under their coach, that's what they run. They run that. They move the pocket. Think about what they're doing with Carr in, um, uh, uh, in Oakland. They're moving the pocket. They're doing all that stuff I talked about with, that they did with Theismann. They move the pocket. They, they change his uh, where he's uh, positioned on the field in the pocket. They do short rolls. They move him around the pocket. So you can't put a beat on him. And then sometimes they cut the field in half and give him a couple of options, and he got to hit it. And that's how they've been evolving. But I don't see that level of sophistication with some of these other quarterbacks. And it just drives me crazy. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And and you know, I'm not I'm not an expert on football. Um, and I don't claim to be, but I do know, you know, comfort is, is a fleeting thing and it's a real thing and it matters to athletes. And when you can't get comfortable with what you're doing, it's hard to really take your game to another level when you're always at the first. When you're always on the first floor, you're always on the first floor. You know what I mean? That's right. Like, you know, when you're always just getting in the door or something, you just got there. It don't matter. You just got there, you know, and you can't never get comfortable in the building when you're just getting in the building. I feel like that's, that's what right. happens continuously with with these young quarterbacks. And then they just become broken, you know. Time's up. Time's up. Yes. So, you know, those ones, which one do you think will recover? <laughs> I, I think luck will recover. I think the organization will will figure out that they need to put an offensive line together. Um, I mean, that that's to me that's first and foremost. If you're going to have a young quarterback, you need to put people in front of him who can keep him upright. I don't I don't understand why you would invest anywhere else before that. Like my next three first round I got a young quarterback, my next three first round picks are gonna be lying. And I gotta yeah. hit on him. I can't miss because if I miss I I I'm done. You know, once you get once you get your young quarterback, if you start missing on your old lineman, you might as well have missed on your quarterback, even if you got a good one. If your line is suspect, then that quarterback's gonna be suspect. And they're not gonna they're never gonna pan out. That's what's killing Colin Kaepernick, in my opinion, in San Francisco. Under Harbaugh, yeah. they had a strong offensive line. This offseason, they, they they shipped a lot of those guys out, and now they're rebuilding their offensive line, and it's killing Kaepernick. Um, you look at Luck, offensive and, and, line. And I would say, you look at Russell you Wilson. you got to have receivers who can separate. In all those yeah. occasions, Nobody's talking about the fact that they don't have any receiver who can separate, who can get separation. Yeah. And all yeah. three of those, if you have, what's different in Oakland is he got two receivers who can get separation. Crabtree, who used yep. to be across the bay, and I uh, got my, my, uh, and, and my, and my guy from, uh, uh, yeah, Cooper, Armani. So, so yeah. having, and he got a tight end. <laughs> but yep. you got to have people who can get open. Right, uh, or you gotta have an offense that gets them open. And so when you watch Russell Wilson, you watch Kaepernick, is they are throwing in tight windows because you know nobody can get open. Right. And exactly. So even the line block, if you can't get any kind of separation, then now he's throwing in a tight windows when he's learning and developing his accuracy. But if you watch. 
if you watch Carr, you know, Cooper and them are running routes. They they can run routes. They get space. Yeah. So they make the throw even easier for you. I don't see any of that developing. I see a lot of you know washed up retread receivers who can't get open. I mean, guys mm-hmm. are coming up on them on the line. And how do you play up on the line with a person with Kaepernick's arm strength? Because the person can't get no separation down the field. And that part is not. It's part of how your quarterback does look good. So that's not going to change for the backup quarterback coming in. And whose fault is that? Well, you let all those people right. go, you let Harbaugh go. But that similar issue, you know, uh, was a similar issue in Washington. There's a similar issue in a lot of these other places. Um, I think the only place that is not that way, I would say, is in Indianapolis. I think he got some receivers. He got some injuries. But his line is so bad, he ain't got enough time to throw to an open receiver. He's right. the only one that's different. <laughs> yeah. So I agree. I agree 100%. I agree with you 100%. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG Renegade Radio. Coming up on about 15 minutes remaining in this podcast. We're going to take a quick break. Come back, and we're going to hit you up with some NBA talk. Again, Real Sports Guys, Renegade Radio, we in the house. Back to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. About to hit you off with some NBA talk to close out this show. The NBA season is underway. Uh, we are avid NBA followers. D. Wills, what are some observations that you got for the first couple of weeks of the season? What are some things that you like? What are some things that you don't like? Wow. Well, yeah, I've been trying to catch uh, as many of these games as I have. Um, I can. Something I'm really impressed because it's a hometown team or home area team. But I knew it was going to happen with the Pistons. Um, you know, it tells you, again, this is something that you and I just talked about. You know, when you can get a coach and you can get – you, you can start to have a um, – it's weird that you got the Pistons and then you got the Lions, but you, when you can have an organizational culture – and begin to define what it's going to be, and then get players who fit in it, almost like Utah Jazz type of culture, uh, what can happen. And you can see, you know, they made some moves, but just watching how they're building that team and how they're playing here early in the season, um, for me, has been uh, great. There's been a long time coming. I've been getting my pistols back in the game. But the other team, another team, I mean, there's a couple teams like this, the Jazz, which I think they were – ending the season last year, coming together. And, I mean, and, and, and Jazz, was, they, were, they were playing some defense, but I think they're second in their division um, right now who are kind of like this kind of 
you're watching these young folks beginning to kind of position themselves and learn to play the game and taking the coaching um, and getting in. And um, and uh, another highlight is, you know, this, this kid, Porzinga, came in with, you know, a lot of people questioning everything else, but this kid can play. I mean, he <laughs> he dunked one time, one game. I was like, he got he got he got swag to his game. You see a little more energized, Carmelo, uh, New York City driving up, and so you know the obvious story is Golden State, Golden State. Um, it's good to see, you know. So I got this theme: these young guns growing into their role. These teams that were, um, you know, um, on the verge, look like they're growing up, like the Jazz. You know, you got some young players who are questionable in the draft who are demonstrating that it wasn't a fluke that they were proud. Then you got the, you know, these established teams who are coming out trying to establish themselves, like, you know, Golden State trying to say it wasn't a fluke. Um, you know, you, so you start to see those kind of storylines play out. But then you got OK City and Durant coming off injuries and, you know, new head coach and watching that come together. So I just been these kind of those kind of storylines for me have been um exciting but games of competitive. The disappointment is New Orleans. I know they've had some injuries, but what they're 0 and six. Um with a person like Was Anthony it too Davis, soon on Aid Davis? Was it too soon on Ant Davis? It, I think it's I think it's kinda of too because it, this is almost the um I'm not gonna put it it's, it's the Kevin Love thing. When you as good as people say Anthony Davis is, you I, I could be you with those injuries. We can be two and four. You know what I'm saying? Three, there might be some games you just going to do 45 on. You know what I'm saying? Um, because you're that kind of player that can can uh, impact both ends of the court. But to be 0 and six when you have three games at the crib, I don't know, man. And it, it wasn't. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm feeling you. that the skill set he got doesn't translate. Like there's a leadership component there that's got to come through. It's not like he's playing with dead men walking. He got some guys who can run with him, and he affects both ends. You know, and you can't really double team him because he got a little J. I mean, it's like I I can't. When I looked at that, I was like, oh, it's six. Ah, that's that that. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. And I don't. You know, they could break out of it, but it just doesn't. You know, I don't know. And you're good at this. This is your. That just doesn't seem right. The other thing I love about it early on is Paul George. I mean, devastating kind of injury. You know, kind of came back late last year, but you know, he, you know, he's starting to feel good. Um, and yeah, he's starting to get his groove back. He's starting to get his groove back. And then the, the storyline I know you love, and you and Justin probably busted up, man. There's a storyline about how people age. And Kobe stuff is hilarious. He's like 23% justified shooting. It's just, we were talking about this the other day, and I was just like, I mean, it just says everything about the Lakers, and he juxtaposed them against the Clippers organization at the same time. But, but I mean, I never saw I saw Kobe shoot like this, but just with all that young talent you got, if you could just get him to play as a way to help facilitate their growth, I could see them playing well. 
you know, where he picks his spots to to be Kobe, the Mamba, but really uses it uses his knowledge of the game to get them going. You know, pushes assist up. It would be different than but he has like 23% free air. I mean, that's, that's, you know, how people age. So there's just been a lot of interesting storylines, man, in this NBA season that I just have loved. It reminds me of, I mean, I've never known the NBA to have this much buzz out the gate like his college basketball. I don't know how you felt. Right. I'm not just saying because we're fans, but it seems like there's a lot of energy around the game that people love. There's a lot of talent. There's so much talent this is a really deep league in terms of just ball players, and, and that that's exciting. I agree. I think uh, I agree with a lot of what you said. The the Anthony Davis thing um, is again something that is just like okay, what's what's going on here? Where we like, <laughs> what's, what's up? Like for real, like what's up? Like, what do we, what do we, what do we, what are we expecting to see right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's going on? Who is uh, who's Paul? Who? Why is it just working? <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. I don't blame, don't blame Ann Davis. I've watched a couple of their games, and it's just an ill put together roster. They don't have enough shooting. He kind of is falling in love with the like stretch four kind of deal. Um, yeah. shooting jump shots and not really using his back to the basket game as much as he should be. Um, and so that's what I think his shooting percentage early in the season has dropped. And then they don't have a real point guard right now with Drew Holiday being out, and you also have Tyreek Evans out. So his two guys who could create shots for him are not available to, to do that and, and create. And so he's struggling offensively put the ball in the basket, and they really don't have any other options. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a mess. That one just – I look, oh, it's sick. I thought I'd double take. I was like, oh, I, I, I expect to see that. And then you got Minnesota at the top of their division. So, yeah, it, you got some – you know, these early games have just been, you know, there's some, there's some people not where they, you, you thought they were going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something else, obviously, Curry going nuts on the league. Um, that's what's up. I, 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 man, every Golden State game you got to watch, man. You just got to watch. <laughs> he's going to do something <laughs> to somebody. He's just going to be like, man, he's playing video games out there, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, yeah, I think that, yeah, that's just killing me right there. I love it. I love it. Do you, do you, uh, who, who, which coast, like Chicago, you're a Chicago cat, man. Derrick Rose situation. It's just, I, I, how did we get here? It was all good. Just I mean, listen, <laughs> listen, though, but this is the real. This is the real with Derrick Rose, right? This is the real with Derrick Rose and the whole situation. Brian Windhorst just gave an opinion. Like he didn't, and he even said, "I don't have nothing. I, I, this is just what I think." He ain't heard nothing. He ain't. He just. He was just talking, and people took that and ran with it. Is Derrick Rose the beloved son he once was? No, he's not. At the same time, though, it's not. It's not the other way either. You know what I'm saying? Like, it ain't that way, but it ain't the other way either. 
You know, it ain't what Wind Horse the way Wind Horse portrayed it. It ain't sweet though, and it ain't it ain't Valentine's Day with D Rose. It just is. When his contract is up, they'll look at it, they'll reevaluate it. If he can be an asset to the team, he can be an asset to the team. It'll definitely be at a different price. <laughs> yeah. But to make it seem like there's this like rift and that was just the dude on TV speaking what he thought. He has no proof. He had no information to back that up, at least not any proof or any sources he was willing to cite on the topic. So if you ain't willing to cite it, then you ain't got nothing, in my opinion, as a journalist. He ain't willing to cite it. He ain't got nothing. I think it's overblown. I really do. I think it's overblown. D. Will is coming off of 50, 11 injuries, and that just is how it's going to be for him for a minute. He's going to be up and down. Dude basically ain't played basketball in three years. <laughs> yeah. You ain't played in three years. You going to come out tight? I doubt it. I doubt it. But the love affair is over. I don't know if, you know, the honeymoon is over. I don't know if the love affair is over. That's the way I put mm. it. The honeymoon with D. Rose is over. I don't know if necessarily he and the city of Chicago are completely out of love, and I don't know if he and the organization are completely out of love. I think that's a bit. It's a bit too soon to be kicking dirt on Derrick Rose in Chicago. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, it just don't make a lot of sense to me. But, you know, our stranger things have happened. So, And, again, you know, they, they may very well move on from Derrick Rose, and that may very well happen. The thing about Derrick Rose is he, he seems to be a bit out of touch with kind of the rest of the world, I guess, everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to put yeah. this tactfully. Um, and that rubs people the wrong way. But that that becomes, that becomes that's because he's been living in a shell for most of his life. He's been living in this really sheltered environment, this cocoon created by his uh, his handlers. And now he's a, he's a bit older. He wants to speak for himself, and he just shouldn't. He just shouldn't. Yes. Just let somebody else talk for you. That, that's been working to this point. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He trying to. He's making too many of them public mistakes. He just can't go down like that. Yeah. So we're getting to the end of the show. I'm gonna hit you off with the last words uh, this week. Brought to you by XL Academics. Listen to the Real Sports Guys. RealSportsGuys.com. RSG Renegade Radio. This week's last word. I just want to talk about something. ESPN is a great network. I cannot critique their ability to make money, to market themselves, to brand shows, find talent. They're very good at what they do, and they're at the top. I will say, though, I have never known an entity to dump a moneymaker and I felt like Grantland.com was a moneymaker. And a couple of weeks ago, ESPN basically just shut the site down. Um, and I think it's unfortunate. I think it's not only unfortunate because I enjoyed the site, but I think it's unfortunate for ESPN as a brand because Grantland opened the market up in a different way than I think anything ESPN has to offer. They offered stories, information, uh whether it be on sports, whether it be on entertainment, music, um, in a different way than anything else you can find at ESPN. And it kind of created a, and tapped into a niche that ESPN, um, it, it, it tapped into a market of, of people 
people who have grown up with ESPN like myself, but are far beyond just checking the website for scores and kind of running the mill story. So, unfortunately, Grantland is closed. I'll be missing Zach Lowe and the other writers there, but uh, it was a nice run. And you guys did a lot to really change how people look at and, and talk about and write about sports. So, a memorandum of Grantland.com. Real Sports Guys. Signing off. We're coming for that spot. You know. <laughs> Peace.